Let's talk some overlooked stocks. George Tillis has got a couple interesting names for us. Dutch Bros and Intrepid Potash. <laughs> All right, George. You're going on both ends of the food spectrum today. Stuff that goes in the ground to grow the things we eat, and then also some stuff we do consume with Dutch Bros. Hey, did this company, Dutch Bros, a ticker bros, a great ticker, by the way, um, George, is there, uh, did I miss this uh, along the uh, Krispy Kreme debut? Like, when did this uh, beverage and ice cream espresso biz, they kind of went public around the same time as D-Nut, Krispy Kreme, right? It did. This is back in September. I'm not sure about uh, Krispy Kreme. Oh, that was July. IPO. I think it was our second. Okay, so this one was in September for Dutch Bros. But, but look, the company. Okay, I missed Bros. And uh, so it's got an. Yeah, it has an established business, and that's one of the important factors behind it. It's not necessarily just a, a nation business. It is a relatively new IPO, but it's an IPO uh, for a company that's actually trading higher than its uh, pre-IPO price or or post-IPO price back in September. The other thing is we've got to look at its business and profitability. But uh, the company is really in the coffee business, uh, espresso, you know, ice-cold drinks, mostly drive-through establishments. They've got about 538 stores in about 12 states, mostly in the, uh, in the western part of the United States. They're founded in the Pacific Northwest and, and Oregon. But essentially, there's a, this is a company that has a lot of and a massive geographic potential. Uh, the other thing is it doesn't have exposure to uh, Europe, Asia, uh, if you will where there's a lot of uh, uncertainty around companies, franchises like McDonald's, Starbucks, for instance, which is a competitor of Dutch Bros. But this is also a company that's quietly uh, growing and there's uh, it's well positioned, uh, if you ask me, to grow continuously or considerably within the next five years or so. Now, there was a catalyst this week. The stock has been trading relatively well. I, you know, all the, all the sales are domestic. They don't have the, uh, the exposure in Eastern Europe like a lot of other companies do that are major franchises. They did post uh, some uh, some earnings. They missed on a non-GAAP basis by about a penny, but they came in with two cents a share in terms of uh, non-GAAP profitability. But sales, sales are pretty substantive. 140 million for the quarter, up 56% year over year. Now, I only have a couple of quarters where the public info to go off of, so I can't really do a lot of comparatives. But I did look at uh, the, uh, the conference call, as well as the guidance the company provided for fiscal year 2022. Now, if we annualize just uh, last quarter's top line sales, we're looking at around $500 million. They're expecting over $720 million for 2022 with an additional 120 stores expected to open. So they're pretty aggressive in their expansion uh, capabilities as well as uh, uh, the capital they're putting forth to expand. They're also posting, which this is really a good uh, metric, is uh, they actually have system same store sales comps, meaning they're only utilizing the existing stores, not the new stores that they opened in 2021 to compare. And those stores for all of 2021 increased uh, sales comps by about 8.5%. And uh, if you look at uh, the fourth quarter, 10.5%. So it's a company that is expected mm. to grow EBITDA for next year, just doing the math uh, in terms of what they're providing, about 17% EBITDA margin for 2022. So it's uh, it's a company it's growth, but it's also trading at a reasonable price. So it's sort of a growth at a reasonable price uh, name, but th at the same time, it's trending. And uh, these are the types of companies. Ah, it's beating Starbucks. I was uh, trading Buffalo. What's that? I was trading Buffalo Wild Wings. Just to give you an example. This was when they actually came public. That stock went through the roof as part of their exponential growth phase, and that certainly can be the case for a lot of these new IPO publicly traded franchises.
Dutch Bros, all right. Guess I should have paid attention here. Uh, doing better than Starbucks. Sounds like uh, it's, it's a smaller business. They almost yeah. might be at an investment uh, proposition advantage uh, for someone. If you've got to buy a coffee stock, okay, um, your options are limited, number one. Okay, a luck in coffee, is that even around anymore? Uh, I'm not sure, maybe. Uh, George, you've got a few options. Starbucks has gotten that big COVID uh, rally already behind them. And now what we've seen is that when the markets come off these last few months, Starbucks has been treated as like a, almost a hyper discretionary stock in a way where Dutch Bros hasn't, arguably because the metrics you're describing is kind of like an upstart, organ-based, regionally kind of limited, but with room to grow. Yeah, that's the thing. If you look at the penetration domestically, where their sales are, are again, 100% of uh, in the United States, they have, a, they have expansion capabilities to grow tremendously over the next five or so years. So this is generally what happens with a lot of these companies. The other thing is, is, is I brought the stock OJ because I noticed my wife has been drinking Dutch pros. Now, this is not <laughs> by all means of, of the company. I think there's a she's not saying about that, George. You know, don't invest where well, you drink your coffee or something. Well, look, at the end of the day, the money's going to go somewhere. She's going to spend it, like you said. And I think this is, again, the case representative of most people. Instead of Starbucks, it's Dutch Bros. So uh, I'm just saying this this could be a trend that does sort of catapult a stock like this. Now, this is not going to go to the moon uh, you know, overnight, but it certainly could be a stock that goes from the mid-40s to the mid-60s within the next 12 months based upon their, uh, their EBITDA guidance as well as top-line sales guidance. Okay. Nice. Interesting find, George. All right. Doing a little uh, on the boots, on the ground, uh, you know, research there with the uh, Dutch right. Bros. George, uh, let's talk IPI, intrepid potash. Quite an adjective for a uh, fertilizer business. Uh, but uh, hey, this has been a market where uh, being intrepid pays off as long as you are uh, bold in the realm of commodities. This is IPI is the ticker. Huge rally this week, massive rally. Huge rally this week. It's up over 140% in the last six months. The trends are already intact for intrepid potash, which essentially uh, produces the three core ingredients like potassium sulfate and magnesium uh, using fertilizer. Uh, but again, the trends were already intact going back to Q1 uh, of, uh, of 2021. This is prior to the invasion of Ukraine by, uh, by, uh, by Russia. And uh, the other thing is, is you have to think about the nature of what's happening in the commodity space. Uh, I did look at who produces potash and uh, what percentage is. In fact, Canada is number one. And guess what? Number one, number two and three are both Russia and Belarus. 37% of global supply of potash comes from those two nations. So what we see here is, is the price is really reflecting what's going on uh, in uh, Eastern Europe right now. But uh, without that said, uh, I did look at the last few quarters worth of sales comps compared to 2019 because 2020 uh, is very challenging. But if you look at 2021 Q1, uh, sales were essentially up about 15 percent. But 2019 for the same quarter were relatively flat. And I'm gonna, just going to fast forward to Q4 of 2021. Sales were up 56 percent on a year-over-year -year basis, whereas the same quarter back in 2019, 15 percent. So it looks like to me, you know, absent the Russia, you know, Ukraine, Belarus regional conflict that's going on right now, which is interrupting the supply of global potash to a, to a high degree, 
this stock had already been ramped up for growth because I think they were selling off existing inventory during the pandemic, and now they're playing catch up. And, and sales are increasing. Ton uh, Price per ton has increased from 250 uh, last year per ton to over 600 as of the last uh, week or so. And that's creating an exponential growth opportunity for the price of, uh, of Intrepid Potash. Okay. Uh, it's uh, been a good trade to be in. Uh, that's one way to put it. George, how long can these trades last uh, for this company? I mean, uh, look, uh, the right place, right time for sure. Already had been in an uptrend since the COVID lows. Uh, but how do you uh, separate short versus long term in a stock like this? Are we not going to get like way, way above expected demand rates and stuff for all these materials? Um, or does you know, we, is this just so supply driven that whenever the problem's over, they're still going to get a bunch of orders from farmers, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, I'm going to go with the latter. I think so. Well, to answer the question, you know, price-wise, this is extremely challenging because you're either chasing the price, you know, you're looking at crude oil, companies like Occidental Petroleum. I'm just giving you some examples of all these commodity stocks that are just going parabolic. The only way you can really deal with this stuff, OJ, from a price standpoint or a trader standpoint is participate in the trend. When the trend ends, get out. And so one thing you could do is just use a 30-period moving average. If it breaks below that by, a, by about a percent or two, have a stop loss and just be out. That's when the trend is up. You're never going to get out of the top. I can't say when that happens or how to strategically position for that. So you have to accept that as such. Now, when it comes to going forward, uh, the supply of potash, Here's the kicker. Assuming everything ends tomorrow in, uh, in Eastern Europe, I, I think there's going to be a lack of trust from four suppliers or from suppliers in the area that is under conflict right now. So therefore, the demand for intrepid potashes, potash is probably going to remain intact for quite some time, even if the conflict ends tomorrow, just because there's so much uncertainty from you know, regulatory, legal, political, uh, you name it, going on in that area of the world. Uh, you have to think about confidence and business uh, credibility to uh, to counterparty risk. And I think that's something that's going to linger even after the conflict ends when it would. I, I don't know when, but you have to think about that. So this trend for potash could continue for quite some time because profitability is very, very robust. About 108 percent EBITDA growth on about 32 percent annualized growth last year. That in, a, in itself, absent the conflict, is remarkable. And so that justifies a stock price movement. But again, the last week or so, it's going parabolic because uh, directly of the conflict. So uh, you have to just you know, take your risk where you can. I can't suggest anything, but managing this risk is utilizing stop losses. And when the trend breaks, just have a stop loss, uh, take your position out. Okay. Uh, George, uh, nice. I like that the last part. I think that's really important, trying to figure out uh, how to make that transition. Because even if uh, the demand will pick up at the you know the war stops economies keep recovering around the world probably not a bad situation for farmers right that's already been the trend prior to this situation but there's going to be a pretty rough transition there because of all these short-term moves that have been so violent uh, you know yep, all right. right nice thanks uh, george tillis appreciate it uh, as always our contributor thanks, with a deep dive on the movers that you missed in today's sessions